All right, brethren, let's turn to Matthew 22. I'm going to just preach on this a little as I go, and we'll just read it together. Begin in Matthew 22 and verse 1. It says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. He's speaking to the Jews here who were of Israel. And a parable is an earthly story to illustrate a heavenly truth. And he says here, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And when we hear of a marriage being made for the son, we immediately know this is going to have to do with Christ. We know from Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He's the husband of his church. He's sending forth his gospel and he's calling his people to himself. And when he gets finished, when he's done, we're going to have what's called in Scripture the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if there's one thing that they do well in New Jersey, it's throw a wedding feast. They put on a shindig now. I mean, it is nice. But that's nothing compared to what this marriage supper is going to be. You think weddings in this earth are grand? This is going to be a grand wedding, a grand feast. Right now, as the gospel's going forth, there's many that are being called to this wedding feast. Many are being called. But there's few who are called and chosen. And only those that are chosen and called are the ones who come. That's what we see here. Now what happens when a sinner is only called? What happens when he's just when he's only called? He hears the gospel go forth, he hears the general call go forth. Israel had every advantage that God could give to natural men. And look what happened here. This is who our Lord's speaking about, verse 3. And He sent forth His servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. God sent forth His servants. God, of all the nations, God chose Israel. And they didn't even know what it was to be a Jew till He said, you're Jews. And He gave them His oracles, and He gave them uh, his law and his priesthood and the tabernacle and all of those things that pictured Christ to say Christ is coming, Christ is coming. And they chose the picture over Christ. They chose the law over Christ. They would not come. Last night I heard a preacher on television. Turn, turn over to John 1. I want to show you something. I heard a preacher on television right before I went to sleep. And he was more bold than I've ever heard anybody declare it. And he was declaring it repeatedly. He said, you have a free will. He said, the choice is yours. You can choose to go to heaven or you can choose to, to not be saved. That's what he said. And this is the scripture he used to support it. Look here, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he... Power 
I think he said authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's where he stopped. Look at the next verse. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He didn't read that part. That's one sentence. That's not two sentences. But he, he left it out. He left it out. Why won't sinners come to Christ? Why won't sinners come to Christ? By nature, we hate God. The carnal mind's enmity against God. We hate God by nature. We hate the message of God's free and sovereign grace. We hate to hear that God saves by grace. I preached a message one time called Christ is the believer's rule of life. And I went through the scriptures and showed how many times Christ said, look to me, follow me, uh, how we're led of the Spirit, how, uh, you know, we walk by faith and, and not, by, not by the law. The law is not of faith. And just showing Christ is the one who has the rule over his people. He's the one we follow. He's the one working in his people. And I showed how the Pharisees, though, the Jews, rejected Christ for the law. They said, we have Moses, we have the law. And one of the men in our congregation gave that sermon to someone from, from the congregation he came out of. And he did the same exact thing that the Pharisees did. He said, well, what about, what about the law? He chose the law instead of Christ. He chose the law over Christ. And that's just exactly what the Jews did when the Lord sent them the law and the oracles and all these things. They chose the law over Christ. Now, secondly here, we see what is the message of the gospel. Verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitely, spitefully and slew them. Now you can be sure, when a man in that day was preparing a wedding feast for his son, you can be sure that the oxen and the fatlings were the choice. They were the very best that he had. Well, God's Son, His only begotten Son, is the very best. He is God's choice. And because He came and, and took the place of His people, brethren, all things are ready. All things are ready. There's nothing left for you and I to do. All things are ready. We had a, a wedding recently uh, with a young couple in our congregation. And there was lots of people at this wedding. But you know, nobody that was called to this wedding had to bring anything. We just showed up. They had, they had uh, prime rib and, and uh, all these different dishes you could get. And it was all provided. Everything was provided. We didn't have to bring a thing. You come to this table. And because Christ Jesus is the righteousness of God, because He is the righteousness God Himself will receive, the righteousness God Himself has provided, all things are ready. The, the work is Christ. It's for, He does it for His people and in His people. 
and it's a it's a it's necessary. Both are necessary. The water and the blood to make me holy and and put away my sin. Both are necessary. He did a work for us on the cross whereby he put away the sin of his people and made us righteous. And when we're born of the Spirit of God, Christ is formed in us whereby we're made holy. And both these are necessary. The scripture says, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and in whose spirit is no guile, no sin, no hypocrisy. Our Lord said, I'm going to circumcise their heart and they're going to love me with all their heart and with all their soul and spirit. And he said in First Peter, we love one another with a pure heart fervently, with a heart in which is no guile. Isn't that amazing? That's that new heart. And this is the work of Christ. And you can't, if you, you, I think some people say, well, we're not going to talk about that work Christ does in his people. We're not going to talk about that because we don't want any sinner to think that they're righteous in themselves. But to deny one work of Christ is to deny the whole work of Christ. You can't, you can't exalt one aspect of his glory by denying another aspect of his glory. We have to declare the whole work that he accomplished. And it's all of him. The only qualification necessary to come to this feast is you have to be a sinner. You have to be one that can't bring anything. You have to be one that has nothing to bring to the table. Our Lord came to save sinners. Not righteous men, sinners. But when you come to this table, he says, the Lord of hosts should make unto all men, all kinds of men, all kindreds and tongues of men, a feast of fat things. A feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees well refined. That's what we're enjoying now. We've already started enjoying this, this gospel feast. And it's just getting better and better and going to get better and better. But most in Israel rejected this call. Now look at, look at what they did. Verse 5 says they made light of it. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now we learn something about God in this. If men reject the gospel... It will not be God's fault. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to Israel. And if men reject our Lord, it's not because he didn't send a witness of himself. He, they, men are without excuse. They're without excuse. But we learn something else about fallen sinners here. The world by wisdom knew not God. Man by nature can't find out God. He can't by searching find out God. God has to give us a new heart. What is it to make light of the gospel? This is what they did. This is what men do who only hear the outward call. It says there some went after their ways. Some go after their ways. And there's a lot of different ways that men have. Christ said, I am the way. The way. There's just one way. It says here others have something in the world that's more important than the gospel. One went to his farm, another to his merchandise. 
There's nothing in this world as important as what you're doing right now. Absolutely nothing as important as what you're doing right now. Most people in this world look for a job in a city and they move to that city and then once they get there, they look for a church. Look for a church <laughs> and work, work everything else around here in the gospel, here in Christ preached. That's what God's people have to do. Job said, this is more necessary than my, than my everyday food. I have to have this. I, I tell men that, that want to be inconsistent about coming or that just decide they, go, they think they can go leave and just camp out on their own. I tell them, okay, from the time, last time you heard the gospel preached to the next time you hear it preached, don't eat. Just don't eat. And when you see how bad your physical condition is, just know your spiritual condition is way worse than that. It's way worse than that. We need this food. Look at this next thing here. We have a warning. The children of Israel rejected God. And for that reason, God rejected them. Verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. He heard that they made light of it. They went their way. They wouldn't come. And he sent forth his armies and he destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. It was because Israel rejected the Lord. The Lord rejected them. And in 70 AD, what did he do? He sent his armies. That's what he said here. He would send his armies and he destroyed those murderers and burned up Jerusalem. That the Lord was telling them face to face what he was going to do. And he did it. He did it. But the fault in this was their own. The fault was their own. Throughout Scripture, when you read Scripture, reprobation is always the call. The, the, the sinner is always the cause of it. Always the cause of it. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 and look at verse 9. He says, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Our Lord had an elect people among Israel, and He brought them out. He saved them. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Acre, a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. But ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain. Look down at verse 12. Therefore will I number you to the sword. See the word therefore? It's because they forgot him. It's because they wouldn't have anything to do with him. Therefore will I number you to the sword and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear. But you did evil in my eyes, and you did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. 
You see the cause? We can't, we can't blame God for the sinner who rejects God and, and ends up in hell. That's the sinner's fault. If we're saved, God gets all the glory for that. So what he's telling us here, when the gospel is sent to a place, with it comes great responsibility. This gospel is either going to be the savor of death unto death or of life unto life. One of the two. And if it's a savor of death unto death, it's nobody's fault but our own. And if it's a savor of life unto life, God gets all the glory. Now, if you can't reconcile that, that's all right. Just believe it. Because it's true. It's true. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. All right, look at this next thing. None of this frustrated God's purpose. None of it did. Not any of this. God saved His elect from Israel. But just as He purposed from eternity, He turned to the Gentiles. He turned to His elect among the Gentiles. It says here, Then saith He to His servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. And so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. God's still sending this gospel forth, and He's calling out His elect, and He's bidding us, and He's, he's calling us to the wedding. And He's going to furnish this wedding with all His people. Our Lord said, This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. And He will lose nothing. They, men may reject the gospel, but they will not frustrate the eternal purpose of God. It's all being worked together for the good of those that God has called according to His purpose. It's, it's every bit of it. Everybody who comes to this marriage feast must come in the wedding garment. We must come in the wedding garment. Look at verse 11. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now in our day, whenever we have a wedding the groomsmen are usually all dressed alike, and the bridesmaids, the bride has picked out dresses for them. Sometimes they match, sometimes they don't. But imagine if they picked out these garments that they want the groomsmen and the brides to wear, and they, they showed up dressed like bums for this wedding. They would dishonor the groom and the bride. They would dishonor them and, and bring reproach on them. This garment was a garment provided by, by the Father. that He provided this for the guests. And this man comes in and he's got a wedding garment that he's made himself. Probably looked a lot like it. And, but the one who provided that wedding garment saw, this is not the wedding garment I've provided. A man may try to come to God in his own works and he may think he's got something that really can measure up to the righteousness that God's provided. God won't be fooled. God says, this is not the righteousness my son accomplished for his people. This is not the righteousness my son is. 
And look what, look what happened to this man. He was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only way, brethren, we can come to this wedding feast is through faith in Christ. We must have Christ's righteousness alone. Alone. Now lastly, here's the main point. This is the main point of this parable. If we delight to come in Christ alone, if we delight in this gospel, the reason is the electing grace of God and the calling grace of God. He says there in verse 14, Many are called, many are called, but few are chosen. Brethren, you and I who delight in the gospel of Christ, you know this. We're no different than any other sinner in this world. No different. We hated God. We hated the gospel. We had no hope. We were dead in trespasses and sins. The only reason that you're sitting here delighting in the gospel is because our Lord Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hated you. He chose his own. Our God chose whom he would. Not based on anything in us. Not because we did anything. Simply by his free grace, he chose his people. That's the greatest news you ever heard. If you know that you're a sinner... And you know you can do absolutely nothing. And you know that, like Brother Todd said, even after he's called you, you're still a sinner. Then God's electing grace, choosing you without a cause in you, that's the best news you could ever hear. Because he won't reject us because of the cause in us. And many hear this call. And many hear it go forth like you're hearing it now. And they just make light of it. It goes in one ear and out the other. But when it comes forth and Christ speaks into the heart effectually, that's when this calls irresistible. He said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. Draw him. And that's an effectual drawing. He draws us. That's the same word, you know, that when Peter drew his sword to cut off the ear. He draws us. And you're coming when He draws you. There's just no doubt about it. You're coming. They shall all be taught of God. Who's the all? All His chosen. And therefore He said, Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father. That means He's been taught by the Father. He cometh unto me. That's the sure result. That's the sure result, to be chosen and called. Well, here's the question. How do I know if I've been chosen and called? If anybody's sitting there today and you say, how do I know if I've been chosen and called? There's only one way. Only one way. Everybody that God chose and everybody He calls find themselves believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can, I can, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I can tell you, I, there was a time when I went from hating this message to starting to see this is true. 
There it is, right there in the Scripture. It was a it was a puzzle to me, and none of it made any sense. And the puzzle started coming together, and I started seeing Christ is all, and I found myself believing on Him. God did that. God did that. That's the only way you know, brethren. Faith. He gives you faith to believe Him. Oh, this is going to be a grand marriage feast. Let's read about it over in Revelation 19. Verse 5 says, A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, all these chosen and called together. And they were all saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Can you imagine being in a place where everybody in the whole land believes the gospel? (laughs) Won't that be something? (laughs) Look at this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. How did she make herself ready? To her was granted To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Is that the righteousness I worked out? No, it's the righteousness Christ worked out and granted to us, gave to us. But it is my righteousness. It is mine now that He gave it to me. That's right. Everything Christ did, God says, I did it. I did it. Look here. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are they that are called. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Won't that be a wedding feast? That'll be a great day. 